0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. I've been a youth pastor for 20 plus years. Uh, Started when I was 10 (laughs) and have just moved on from there. And I, I really consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to walk alongside students. And one of the joys of my job is to place students in uncomfortable situations. And that's both good and bad, right? An uncomfortable situation is taking a student on a missions trip, getting them out of their comfort zone, showing them a third world culture, getting them to fall in love with a people group that they wouldn't have known otherwise. It stretches them, it makes them grow. That's great, that's that's the good side of it. The other side of it is, is sometimes youth group is, hey, here, put this peanut butter on your face And we're gonna give everybody mini marshmallows and they're gonna throw them at you and we're gonna see how many stick, right? And that maybe is the dark side of student ministry. I don't know. But every once in a while, when you do enough of those types of games, students will rise up against you. There will be retaliation that happens. There's something in scripture about you reap what you sow. But... One time when I was youth pastor in Atlanta, I got a call from uh, one of my students who said, hey, would you like to play paintball with me and the guys today? And I thought, that's great. I don't play paintball. I've never played paintball. I don't have any paintball gear, but I'm in. And so it's, uh, it's summer in Atlanta, so it's hot and muggy, but I'm still, I've got like long johns and sweatpants and jeans and a shirt and a long sleeve shirt and a jacket and Kevlar, whatever it takes, because I don't, I don't play paintball. I don't know how bad this is going to hurt me. And so I drive to this wooded area where students are playing and a bunch of them are out there testing out their guns and they're, they've got equipment that is above and beyond what they should have. I mean, they're shooting 20 plus paintballs a second out of these machine gun looking things and firing them everywhere. So I kind of walk over to the group and I say, hey, I'm here, let's get going. Where's my gun? And they said, well, you actually don't get a gun. <laughs> Which at that point I should have just gotten back in the car and driven home and been fine. But I was like, okay, what do you mean by that? So they're like, we're gonna play this game called President and you get to be the President. And I was like, like it was an honor, right? Hey, you get to be the President. Here's how it works. We divide the group in half. Half the group goes into the woods and hides. And the other half of the group is your security detail. And the object of the game is to get the President from point A to point B without getting shot. It's a terrible idea, really. It's a horrible game. But I was like, all right, let's do it. So all the kids went out and hid. And I just knew, I mean, they just could not wait to light me up with their paintball guns, right? They're like, he will be abstract art when we are done with him. And so we started, and and I took that first step into the woods, and I have to be honest with you, I was a little tense. I had this just like, I was starting to freeze up already. And then after a few steps, the paintball started flying everywhere. And anytime a gun went off, I got even more tense. And as I got a little bit further into the woods, I got shot for the first time on my hand, where I had no protection at all. Hit me in the hand when I knew they were aiming at my head. So maybe I did this. I don't know how it happened. I just know I got shot in this hand. And as I got a little bit further, I heard more gunfire and I got more tense and I got shot in the other hand of all things. And but stuff was flying everywhere. And if you've ever been in one of those situations where your muscles are tight for a long period of time, it's just exhausting. And it's hard to walk that way. And I couldn't wait for it to be over. And maybe that's a little bit of how we can feel in life sometimes. Knowing that as we are walking the path that we have this tension because there is an enemy out there who wants to take us out. And so how do we walk the path of life with confidence? How do we walk the path of life so that we can stand firm so that the end of it, we remain faithful? And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. We're continuing on in our series, The Invisible War, and we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about the fact that, yes, there is an enemy out there and it is his goal to destroy us. And so we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, If you want to pull out your phones, you can go to the app as long as you promise not to be on social media. And uh, if you want to grab a Bible from The Pew, it's on page 1860. Now, there's six pieces of armor in Ephesians chapter 6. And last week, Steve talked us through three of them. He talked to us about peace shoes and the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. And this week, we're going to pick up on the remaining three items. And, And your thinking might be right away, wait a second, armor? I thought when I became a Christian, there was a little more safety involved. But that's not the case, right? We know that when we give our lives to Jesus that we come under attack and yes, we need to have armor. There's going to be a fight. And we know the ultimate outcome of that. Laura read from Revelation earlier. We can read the end of the story. We know how the war ends, but it doesn't mean that we will not be engaged in significant battles in our lifetime. There will be battles, but in the Gospels, we find resources for us, resources that we can lean into, that we can live into. Steve's big idea last week as he introduced this topic was this. On our own, we don't stand a chance in the invisible war. If you think that you can get through this life as a Christian on your own and not get wiped out, we need to think again about that because on our own, we can't do it. We need to lean in to what God has given us so that we can stand firm. That's why it says in Ephesians six thirteen. therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. We want to be able to resist and we want to be able to stand firm. And so that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. We're gonna do the, the three remaining pieces, like I said, just kind of what are they? And how do we put them on? How do we wear them? How do we live into these things? So the first one we find is in verse 14 of chapter six. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, which we covered last week, and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, if you grew up in church, that might be different phrasing than you're used to. You're probably used to hearing it as the breastplate of righteousness. Now, here's a picture of a breastplate, and a breastplate was meant to kind of guard your vital organs, in particular, to guard your heart. But the NLT kind of contextualizes it for us and maybe this picture will be more accurate for you. Maybe, maybe just think Iron Man, right? The body armor of God's righteousness. Now I know when you say righteousness, in particular in our current cultural context, it is a negative word. Usually it's preceded by the word self, self self-righteousness, and usually it's condescending or rigid. It's somebody who we think thinks they're morally right or possibly thinks they're better than us. But biblically, the definition is different than that. Biblically, the definition is this, right standing. It's a judicial verdict. It means to pass inspection or approval. One who has passed inspection in the eyes of a significant other and has been found pleasing. This idea of being approved. And we all want this, right? We all long for approval. When I met my wife back in college, when she wasn't at that point my wife, but when I met her, I knew that I wanted to start dating her. And I knew after a little bit of time that she was the one. It took her a little bit longer to figure that out. Several months to figure out that I was the one, but I knew that she was the one and I wanted her to approve of me. I wanted to be found pleasing in her eyes. And so we dated and I put my best foot forward. And then when you're dating, you know, you kind of hide some of your faults. And then you get to that point where you will ask the question. And I can remember that night getting on one knee and asking, will you marry me? And her pausing for an unusual amount of time. <laughs> but what was I asking? I was asking, do you approve of me? Do you think that I'm worthy to spend the rest of your life with? You are the most significant other person to me in the world. And I, I long for that approval. The same way we long for approval. The struggle for approval in the eyes of significant others is at the core of who we are. We all have this desire. And whether it's from parents or children or a spouse or friends or coworkers or your boss. Everybody longs to be approved by other people. Now, you might get to the point where you say, all I care about is myself. My opinion is the only opinion that matters. And I'm not sure we ever truly get there, but maybe you get there. But we understand that the standards that we set for ourselves are usually higher than the standards we set for other people. So we very rarely reach our own standards and we can feel disapproval at that. We have a deep need to be found presentable, to be found pleasing, To be righteous. We have a deep need for righteousness. And the reality is, there's no earthly solution for that need. There is no earthly solution for our need to be righteous, but that doesn't keep us from trying because we think if I, if I work harder, if I live better, if I become perfect, as a Christian you might think if I pray more, if I go to church more, if I, if I serve more, in, if I serve in preschool because that's where you get the most Bible bucks when you serve people. You serve in preschool, changing diapers. If I do all of these things, then I will gain approval through those things. Now those things in and of themselves aren't bad, right? Those are all good things that we can do. But when we try and gain our righteousness, through those works, it becomes deadly. You'll notice in verse 14, it says, it says, the body armor of God's righteousness, it does not say the body armor of self-righteousness. It doesn't say the body armor of self-righteousness, but that doesn't keep us from trying. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is, is speaking of the people of Israel and he says, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Like I'll become right, I will gain approval by working for it. I will gain approval by doing these things so that I can check the box and say it's done. And when we pursue that, it makes us radically insecure because we just never know where we stand. And quite honestly, usually our self-esteem is based on the accumulated verdicts of other people. Our self-esteem is based on what other people have spoken over us as we have tried to achieve, as we have tried to live up to certain standards. Our self-esteem is based on what people speak over us. And so we continue to try and work harder and do more to be approved by those people and to be approved by God. But when you put on the body armor of self-righteousness, there's way too many holes in it. It's way too easy for the enemy to shoot through that body armor. And that's why we need a voice that's different than that. We need a voice that's eternal. We need a a voice that will speak lasting approval over us, lasting righteousness over us. We need a voice that speaks over us that will guard our hearts truly, that will guard us against accusations. And that righteousness is available, but it's not available through us working, it's available through the sacrifice of Christ and us believing. It says this in Romans chapter three. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. That's how we're made right. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. God transferred the legal punishment of our sin To Jesus, so now we have the record of Jesus so that when God looks at us, he sees the record of Christ. But the Christian gospel is more than just pardon from our sins. It's more than just forgiveness of sins. It gives us stand up dignity before God. You see, the righteousness that we get allows us to boldly go before God. The righteousness that we get is God saying, yes, I am pleased with you. I delight in you. You, So much of our worry in life is, am I enough? Am I enough for the people around me? Am I enough for God? And I wanna say over us this morning and hear this, you are enough. God delights in you. You don't have to work for that approval. As a matter of fact, you can't work for that approval. You are enough because God is more than enough. You see, real righteousness is knowing, I am pleasing to the eyes that matter most. I am approved by the person who matters most. I am approved by God. So what does it mean to put on this body armor of righteousness? The first thing I would say is this. We have to begin to identify what we've chosen to be our righteousness, what we've chosen to allow us to become approved. There's something that you do that you think gains approval. There's probably something that you're good at. It's probably something that other people say you're good at. It's probably something that you've been doing for years, maybe, and you feel like, this is what's gaining me approval with God, and this is what's gaining me approval with other people. you need to be able to identify that, whether it's work-related or church-related, because we wanna be able to look at that and say, you know what, that's not it. That's not how I gain the approval. And so once you recognize that, you need to be able to call that for what it is, and then you need to be able to receive the approval, the acceptance, the righteousness of Jesus by faith. You see, to put on that body armor, that body armor that's secure, that body armor that's lasting, is to know that it's not your good works. It's the work that Jesus did on the cross that we just believe in by faith. And when we do that, we gain approval. Now, we're gonna fail. There, there will be times that we fail, and I just, just quickly, how do we respond when we fail? Knowing that we have this body armor of righteousness, how do we respond when we fail? Because you're gonna hear a whisper. You're gonna hear a whisper that says, why don't, why don't you pray more? Why don't you do more? You're not a real Christian. Remember what you did? You should feel awful. And our response is always, yeah, you're right. I should, I should feel awful. You see, because you have an enemy because Satan is attacking us that way. Satan's always gonna say, look at your sin. Satan's always gonna say, look at your guilt. God doesn't want you, go away. And that's, that's works-based, right? See the things that you did? God doesn't want you, go away. But Holy Spirit is gonna say, you know what? Yeah, look at what you did. God wants you, go towards him. And that's the difference. If you ever wondered about that voice, you know, what's the difference between uh, condemnation and conviction? Satan's gonna come at you with condemnation and he's gonna say, go away, you are rejected. The Holy Spirit's gonna come at you with conviction and say, yeah, see what you did, go towards, you're forgiven. We're gonna work through these things because it's not your work that gains approval, it's the work of Christ. Satan's gonna always point to your work and say, oh, you're a terrible person, go away. Holy Spirit's always gonna say, yeah, you're not doing it right, but go towards, because it doesn't matter. That's the body armor that we put on, that's the body armor that guards our heart. The second item that we're gonna talk about, we find in verse 16, it says, in addition to all of these, so we've already talked about the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness, and then the peace shoes, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of shield. Probably this, right? It's kind of the iconic shield in current culture. Uh, but that's not what this is talking about, actually. The, the word for shield, uh, this is probably a better picture of what it was because the word is literally door. When it talks about holding up the shield of faith, it's, it's basically saying hold up the door, And it just means the size. It was like a two and a half by five foot shield. It was the big one. And it was used at a particular point in battle. It was used when you were advancing. It was used on the front lines. If you can get a picture of all of the soldiers at the very front of the battle holding these up so that it's like a wall. Or these soldiers, when you would siege a city and you wanted to conquer the city and you went up to the wall and you knew that they were going to hurl things off the top of the wall at you, oftentimes they would be flaming on fire because they wanted those things to hit you, catch on fire and have you drop everything and run away. And so this shield was used where the fighting was fiercest. It's a frontline shield. The shield of faith is a frontline shield. And again, it's just a reminder that we're in battle. Armor is not for beach day. Armor is for battle. And we need to remember that, that we are in a war. And this item in particular was about the front lines. It's that time, you know, when you're stepping out, when you're stepping up, when you're going into an uncomfortable situation for Jesus, when you're trying to do something and you just feel like, man, when I try and do that, I'm just under attack. Or when you're like, I'm trying to change a bad habit in my life, I'm trying to be different, but at every turn, I feel like, something's coming at me to try and stop me. Yes, the enemy's attacking you. Or when you just, a new believer, someone who just gives their life to Christ is going to face attack. And it might be like, oh, it was so much easier before I became a Christian. Now this stuff is hard. Because that's when Satan is taking shots at us. That's when the fiery arrows come. It's not harmless paintballs. Trials are coming your way. Oftentimes fire in scripture is, Equated to trial. In 1 Peter 4, it says, don't be surprised by fiery trials. Revelation 3, the church is like gold purified in the fire. Isaiah 43, it says, when you walk through the fire, when you walk through the fire, not if, but when. When you walk through the fire, trials are going to come. Some are gonna be big, some are gonna be small, but trials will come our way. We have an enemy that is trying to get us to throw everything down and just run away. And oftentimes when these trials come, we face doubt or disillusionment or anger at God. And we start to hear these whispers like, God doesn't see you or God doesn't love you or God doesn't care about you. And those are the exact moments that we need the shield of faith. The shield of faith is for the fierce fighting. It's for those times when the enemy is trying to get you to run away. It's the times that we look at God and we say, okay, God, this is hard, but I trust in your power, I trust in your purpose, I trust in your plan. And even though life oftentimes has more questions than it does answers, we hold up this shield of faith against us, even when we can't see it. I went hiking uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, one of our middle school pastors, Sean, one of our high school pastors, Brandon. And it was an 80 degree day. It was beautiful. And we were going up beyond Detroit Lake somewhere to go hike this trail that Brandon knew about. And uh, when we got there, we had to park two and a half miles from the trailhead because of uh, snow. I didn't even think. I mean, so we start walking up this road and there's my footprint. And I don't know if you can see it, there's a bear paw print on the right side of that first picture. And that was the moment where I was like, is this such a good idea? Wouldn't you guys love lunch right now? Let's get back in the car. We finally get to the trailhead. You can see how well prepared we were for the elements right there. We get to the trailhead, but there's no trail. You can't see a trail. There's, there's no path to follow. And both of those guys were like, let's go. We're going to do this. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, let's go back to the car. And they were like, it'll be worth it when we get to the top. And honestly, my reasoning was this, I've never been in a rescue helicopter, so. (laughs) Let's do this. So we start walking. The picture on the right there I took because that's the trail. You couldn't see the trail. At times there was six feet of snow that we were trudging through trying to find the trail. All we had was Brandon's cell phone, which had a red line of the trail and a red dot that was us. And his reasoning was, As long as I keep the red dot on the red line, we're gonna be fine. And my reasoning was, there's no trail. (laughs) But we kept pressing forth. And I just kept thinking, you know, I kept saying, well, what is it that I'm gonna scratch in the snow uh, to my wife about why we went forward here? Or man, I better take a lot of pictures because at least she'll have the SD card. And I kept bringing these things up to Brandon as we went. And at a certain point, Brandon turned around and he looked at me and he said, Brian, I don't need your negativity right now because I just couldn't see it, but he kept keeping us on the trail, and you know what, it was good, and it was an adventure, and it was worth it. Even though I couldn't see it, there were times where I was like, aren't we going over there? And he goes, yep, but the trail's this way. It didn't make sense to me, but it worked. And a lot of times, that's how it is. We aren't going to see clearly, but we have faith in one who does. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. We have faith in things we can't always see. And faith isn't just intellectual assent. It's not just, yeah, I believe Jesus was a person. Faith is actually trusting in Jesus, trusting your life to Jesus. And it's not just a once and done, it's a daily surrender to Jesus. Jesus, I trust you. I trust your character. I trust that you're good. Faith says, God, I'm gonna look at you instead of the trial. And I'm just gonna hold on to who you are and what your word says against this right now. And I don't want to flee and I don't want to run away. I'm gonna trust you. And that's what it means to hold up the shield. The first thing I would say is this, that we need to know God in his truth. How do we hold up the shield of faith? Know God in his truth. We have to know who God is. We have to know his word. That's why it's so important that we gather together like this to be reminded of God's truth or to spend time in his word so we can be reminded of the things that we've heard before or haven't heard before. Because the enemy who wants us to drop everything and run away, he's gonna try and bring things to you that are not truth. He's gonna try and plant seeds. He's gonna try and give you ideas that aren't ideas that we should allow into our lives. And if you don't know what the truth of God's word is, you might try and hang on to those ideas. William Gernal was a 16th century preacher and author who wrote a seminal work on the armor of God. And in his chapter on faith, he had this quote. The enemy lays his brats at these Christians' doors, and they, in their simplicity, take them in and nurse them for their own children. This idea that the enemy's gonna place things at your door and try to get you to believe you fathered them. These thoughts that he wants you to believe, you're not good enough, or you know, you hear at church all the time, there's nothing so bad, but they weren't talking about you. That's really bad. God doesn't see you, God doesn't care you could work for, all these things that maybe you wanna bring into the house and and raise them as your own and allow them to grow up in your life. Shouldn't be. Those things erode our faith, and that's why we need to know who God is and we need to know his truth so that we can do the second part of this. And I think we need to shoot our own arrows sometimes. The enemy's shooting at us, and and maybe you've heard of arrow prayers before. Those are just those quick prayers that you shoot up to God, like help. (laughs) That simple, Maybe it's the scripture that you can recite back during these times. Maybe you memorize something where you say, okay, God said I'll never leave you or forsake you or there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Little arrow prayers, little arrows that you can shoot back. But we have to know who God is so that we can hold up that shield. The last piece of armor here, verse 17, it says, put on salvation as your helmet. We kind of understand what a helmet is, right? We've got a visual picture. If you don't have a visual picture for what a helmet is, here's one for you. That's, uh, that's Steve Thor Fowler out there with his helmet on, looking good. He's not here this weekend, so it doesn't matter. But salvation, salvation means to be rescued to be taken out of the influence of danger. It's, it's what God does for us. But biblically, salvation is a broader term than the way we typically use it. We typically use salvation in the past tense. We say, I have been saved. When did you get saved? In reference to a prayer that we prayed where we surrendered to Christ. That is when I got saved. That was my salvation. It's in the past. And yes, that is true. We do need to be saved from sin. If you think of the story of the prodigal son where he lived in the wealth of the father and then there was a moment where he said, I want to be my own master. And so he became his own master and that led him down a path of destruction. And he had to return to the father and ask to be saved from the recklessness that he he did in his life. That's that salvation from sin, that is true. There is a a past salvation. When the Bible speaks of salvation, though, it has three tenses, past, present, and future. Past, we have been saved. Present, we are being saved. Philippians chapter two says, continue to work out your salvation. It does not say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation, which means we are working things out as we go, right? Right? It's this picture of the fire's been put out, but there's still some cleanup to do. And so as Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we begin working out our salvation. And then there's a future tense. There's a not yet, but one day we will be finally saved. First Peter chapter three, verse five says, the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a salvation that is coming. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We will be saved from the presence of sin. We have been saved from the penalty through the work of Christ. We are being saved from the power. We understand that struggle and and God's spirit is in us and helping us overcome that. But one day, one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin altogether. It will be no more. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that this helmet is. Paul talks about armor in two different places in the New Testament uh, additionally, besides Ephesians 6. And both times he says, the helmet of the hope of salvation. That that's what we hang on to. We hang on to this hope. We hang on to this idea that Christ is returning. We hang on to there will be no more sin one day. And that's how we put that helmet on. We put on the helmet of the hope of salvation first by surrendering our lives to Christ. That's the first thing we can do. Surrender our lives to Christ. Because if you don't have the helmet of salvation on, if you don't have this hope that there's something beyond this world, then you'll think that this world is all the happiness that you're ever gonna get. And so you will pursue that happiness instead of eternal happiness. And when you do that, it causes anxiety and fear and hopelessness. Because you understand that if this is all the happiness there is, this isn't a very good deal. That there's more. And the second thing I think we need to lean into is this idea of one day thinking. One day, guys, one day. One day. Christ will return. One day we will be delivered from the presence of sin altogether. And this is not escapism. This is not just wishful thinking. This is how we were meant to live. Paul said, I can put up with anything right now because there's a future glory that's coming that outweighs all of this. One day. Remember when you were a kid and your parents told you about the real world? Just wait till you get to the real world. And by that they meant... You're going to have to get a job and you're going to have to pay your own bills and you're going to have to do life for real in the real world. And by the real world, we all knew that, wow, that's kind of a broken place. I don't want to get to the real world. But, you know, the truth is, is that this world is not the ultimate reality. This is not the real world. This is the title page to the real story. The real story starts when Christ comes. We're just living in the title page. We have that hope. We have the hope that one day there will be no more brokenness. One day there'll be no more anxiety. One day there'll be no more fear. We won't have to prove ourselves all the time. There'll be no more fighting or sickness or pain or death. One day. One day the voice that we have followed for our entire lives will have a face. One day the Savior that we have surrendered to, that we've read so much about, we will be able to embrace One day, there is so much more before us than there is behind us. And that's the hope that we have as believers. The hope that we will see his face when he returns and we will spend eternity with him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I just wanna pray your blessing over this place this morning. And I wanna pray your blessing of the body armor of your righteousness. I pray that over those of us in the room that struggle with approval, that wrestle with feeling like we're enough. I just pray that deep sense of your approval over this place. I pray the shield of faith. I pray the blessing of faith. I pray that you would increase our faith for those walking through things that they just can't figure out or understand, I pray that you would just bless with faith. And Jesus, bless us with hope. Bless us with eyes that see eternity. Bless us with hearts that long for that one day when all will be right, when we get to begin the real story. And allow us to lean into this armor so that we can continue to stand. In your name, Jesus, amen.